MYP fam, what's going on? My name is Hector Santia Esteban, and I am your host. And this is the show that gives you all the tools, tactics, resources, and also some inspirational stories on how to grow a successful podcast. And today is one of those stories. It's with Mr. Gary Art. He is the host of Everything Everywhere Daily. It's a daily podcast that is a mix between a history and a travel show. And what's cool is that He's done millions of downloads. He's over 900 episodes in, and he just started in 2020. And we talked about how he was able to get going after failing in his previous podcast, and also how he was able to successfully monetize it over those first couple of years as well. It's a really cool interview. He gives some good stuff. So let's get into that. Without further ado, with Mr. Gary Art of the Everything Everywhere Daily Podcast. MYP fam, I want you to welcome Mr. Gary Arndt, the host of Everything Everywhere Daily, to the show. Gary, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. I was looking at taking a look at your show, and the first thing that I was not caught off guard by, but that I was impressed by, was that you're over 900 episodes in. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. There are some shows that we work on that we get up into the five and the 600s, and that's a really exciting number. And what I was even more impressed by was that I saw that you started, at least this one, I'd be curious if there were other shows before this, but this one started in 2020. So you were able to do over 900 episodes in the last few years. That's the daily part of the daily show. You put it out every day. No, I did another podcast beforehand. I started podcast podcasting in 2009. I had a show called This Week in Travel, and it got killed in the pandemic. And that show was a quasi-weekly show, even despite its name. We were weekly at one point, and then we I had two co-hosts, and it just became very hard to schedule things. And when the pandemic hit, the audience kind of just dropped out, and we ended the show. And then I started this one, which is kind of a completely different one. I'd love to know that first journey. Obviously, there was the timing and the world, and there's a variety of external factors that I think played along with that. Is there anything that you take away from that first show that you either say, we're going to do this differently because this didn't work out? Or do you look back at that time and say, I'm glad that we did, that I was able to do that because now in this show, this is so much easier? The things that came out of it is one, Having co-hosts, I think, is probably not worth the hassle. And I think both of my co-hosts will agree to that. So it's not like I'm, it's not a diss on them because it requires extra scheduling. You're, you have to have a time where everybody can be in one spot, especially when you have three people co-hosting. Then it becomes really hard. And it also becomes very hard to monetize because we reached a point where we could do this and maybe it'll bring in a couple hundred bucks and then you split it three ways. And then it's like, nah, is it really worth doing? So we never ended up monetizing the show. I'm glad I did it in that when I launched the new show, it at least gave me a basis to start from. In other words, that there was a small audience of a couple hundred people that went to the new show right away. So instead of people launching a show and they literally have 10 people or less listening, I had about 200 listening to the first episode. So that was helpful. And the other thing is I was a big podcast listener. So there were other shows I listened to. They were fine shows. You know, I listened to them, but they were doing it wrong. Like they did things that were self-destructive. They were using too much foul language. I have no problem with swearing, but some people do have a big problem. And this one podcast I listened to, they swore a lot. So instantly you can't listen to it with kids. You're going to turn some people off. I did a study of what resulted in the most one-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And there were two things. Overwhelmingly, two things that always came up. 
inserting politics into things that were not intended to be political, where they throw in some snide comment about some politician and too many ads. Those are the two things that were the biggest turnoff for podcast listeners. So I'm like, okay, I'm just not going to do anything dealing with current events. I'm going to avoid politics entirely as to not alienate anybody in my audience. And I don't ever want to have too many ads. It's just a 10 minute show. So the limit I said was going to be two. That's the most number of ads I'll ever have in a show. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing two ads and that's it. So yeah, those are a lot of things I learned from previous shows I've done. I should add, there's another show I did too. CBS launched a podcast network several years ago and they recruited me to do a travel show on the network and they gave me some equipment and it was an interview show. And I also realized that I didn't want to do an interview show anymore. There's nothing inherently wrong with an interview show. I've done them. This Week in Travel was an interview show. I did it for 11 years. I'm talking to you right now. It's an interview show. But I also realized there are a lot of interview shows. And my favorite podcasts, I realized, were the ones that were actually monologue shows. And so I realized I could control the quality of the show by doing it myself because the quality of the show is really dependent upon the guest. And so by eliminating that, eliminating a co-host and eliminating everything else, I could have more control over the quality of the programming. Yeah. Great perspectives that I think a lot of people need to hear, especially because so many people come into podcasting and they see the big buckets. They see vanilla, chocolate, strawberry. They see interview show, maybe a, a solo rant. All of the individual flavors or all of the individual ways that someone can do it are not as apparent. And I think that empowering people or at least exposing them to that is really important. I'd love to know, you had an easy opportunity to kind of not do podcasting. It would have been easy to pursue a different hobby or pursue a different kind of skill, but you chose to start another show, right? Some people might go, Gary, you're crazy. You just did that one. It was a waste of time. You threw all this money and time into it and there's all these headaches. Why are you going to start another one? What was going through your head back then? Or what was your reasoning then for doing so, it all over? Most people do not know me as a podcaster. Even though I'm getting a million downloads a month on my show right now, that is not what most people know me for. If you look at my Instagram account, I got 182,000 followers. I got a verified account, and it is not for podcasting. It's because I was a well-known travel photographer. So I sold my house in 2007, and I basically traveled the world until the pandemic hit. And in March of 2020, I basically lost everything in my business. My income dropped by 95%. All the contracts I had, which was the majority of the income, was canceled. Traffic to my website dropped. Affiliate income literally dropped to zero. Everything disappeared because the whole travel industry disappeared. And that's where my income was. I was noted as a travel blogger and a travel photographer. And at first, in March, I thought this pandemic stuff was going to be done in a few weeks, right? They're going to shut stuff down and then it'll go away. And back by May, we'll be back to normal. And clearly that was very wrong. I started talking to some people in the travel industry and they were telling me, it's like, no, this is going to take years to play out. And I realized that I could not depend on the travel industry anymore. So I thought of what to do. And I had this idea for a podcast in the back of my mind. I had already gotten the artwork two years pr prior. I already had that commission. I had the theme music already purchased. I bought it at a stock music website. I had everything ready to go. But the initial idea for the podcast was to do like a semi-weekly, long-form, two- to three-hour show about one topic. And I realized that, that just wasn't a viable model. So I never did the podcast. And then when all this happened, I went back to it and I thought, maybe if I do the exact opposite, maybe instead of doing long episodes... What if I did short episodes every day? Because there was nothing really like that. Most history podcasts deal with one subject and they do it very in-depth. 
over a very long period of time. What if I did the opposite? What if I did something where it was like, a, you know, those companies that send you a box of something every month and you never know what you're going to get? What if I did the podcast equivalent of that? Every day, it's going to be something different and you never know what it's going to be. So I thought we'd listen to that podcast. And so I made the podcast that I wanted to listen to. And that's how it began. It's not that I couldn't do other things. It's that the other things I was doing were taken away from me. And I felt this was a podcast that I was uniquely suited to do. It's interesting you say that. I was listening to the episode that you released today. And what I think that you really do well, whether it's intuitively or explicitly, is creating a show that your listener is going to enjoy. And what I mean by that is there's very little fluff. There's very little banter. There are some ads and there's a little bit of intro. But even within the first 10 seconds, I already know what the show is about. You've already given me a very clear overview and description of what the episode's about. And I think that's really important. But also that type of show is for a specific type of listener. And I think that either you've done a good job of getting clear about that or you've had some iteration. Can you talk about what maybe the evolution of how you approach your scripting or how you approach your formatting to really create a, frankly, a really tight, ex- tight, but informative experience in 10 to 15 minutes. So if you go and listen to, to episode one, the very first one I did, you'll notice that the format of the show is exactly the same. I have not changed it once. The tightness is something that I kind of It was not something I consciously was thinking of when I started it, but it turned out to be a very good side benefit of scripting the show that I've had a lot of people say, yeah, your show is very tight. You don't waste my time talking to the co-host or anything like that. I do have a section at the end of the show, but it's completely, you know, voluntary. It's not part of the main part of the show where I'll, you know, read questions or listener reviews or things like that. But the biggest thing has been scripting it. And so the vast majority of my time producing a show is not in recording. It's not in editing. That's actually trivial to do when you're just recording your own voice. It's in writing and research. So it may take me four to six hours on average to write a show. And then the actual recording of it, I can finish in, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. It's pretty easy to do. And the only differences since I've started is that I've just got a better system now for writing. And I can, I think, write a show faster. And the shows have gotten a little bit longer. What were you doing before? And and how has that changed? Nothing fundamentally different. It's just kind of an efficiency you get by just doing something over and over that I can be more, a bit more verbose and explain things rather than trying to make everything so tight. When I originally launched the show, I think the shortest show episode I ever did was five minutes. And now I think I just did my longest show was like 19 minutes. Normally I shoot for like 10, it ends up being like a 10 to 12 minute show. Or in terms of word count, it's normally hitting about 2000 words for a script now where it was maybe 1500 words when I started. But it just, yeah, it just has to do with more comfort in writing and being more, having just having a style, I guess, of doing it. There's no particular workflow thing or hack that I can point to to make it different. It's just the experience that comes from getting in your reps. You mentioned that you were able to carry over a bit of your audience to you know your new show, but not you know 200 people is a definitely a good start, but it's not where you're at now. And so it's obviously grown over that time. What has worked for you in terms of growing listenership or growing your audience? Is there anything that you can point back to that worked out? Yeah, I did paid advertising. 
that was the most successful thing by far. In fact, one of the things I did when I started is, okay, how do I grow the show? And I looked at other successful podcasts, and that was the key. There's a lot of podcasting gurus out there that will give you advice. And the one thing that they've never done is grown a successful podcast. They're really just talking out their ass. One of the things you always hear, oh, social media. Yeah, you got to post. And one thing I found is like Jordan Harbinger and uh, Tala Hala and other people that had large shows. And they said, we found social media doesn't do anything, right? And like everyone else, I was posting every episode to Twitter. And I was doing it on, fa- on Instagram as well. And I realized this was kind of a waste and it wasn't really doing anything. So I just stopped doing it. And my downloads didn't change or confirming what they had said. Social media didn't do squat. And then I would do research on certain shows. And by doing research, I would look at their show on every podcasting app and platform. So you can determine roughly using a proxy like reviews on Apple Podcast or ratings on Spotify to tell how popular something is. It's not perfect, but it correlates. If you have 5,000 reviews on Apple Podcast, you're getting a lot of people listening on Apple Podcasts. And I was looking at that and I realized there were certain sites where these successful shows have a lot of reviews or a lot of subscribers. Because some apps actually show you the number of subscribers, like CastBox does. And what I realized, and then I went and found interviews that these people did where they talked about their podcast, is that they were buying advertising on these apps. So I began buying ads on Overcast, Podcast Addict. Those are the first two because you can do it pretty cheap. Podcast Republic. And then I could easily see that this was starting to bring in more people. I did a feed drop on a couple of websites. I did one in the History of World War II podcast. That saw a large increase in the number of people coming in. And did you pay for that one or was that one just an organic partnership? Yeah, I paid for it. Cool. A lot of podcasters are very afraid to spend money. And, you know, in most interviews I do, I say is like, there's not a podcast discoverability problem any more than there's a book discoverability problem or a music discoverability problem or a movie discoverability problem. The Avengers was one of the biggest movies of all time, yet they spent over $200 million promoting the movie. For a movie, everybody knew it was made, right? The second half of the two-part thing that they did. Why do you spend $200 million on something everybody knows is going to happen? Because that's what you have to do. You have to tell people. If you get a record deal and you're a recording artist, the whole point of the record deal is promotion and distribution. You don't need a record company to record an album anymore. Recording technology is super cheap and super easy. Basic podcasting gear, you could do a lot of it. You don't need a publisher to write a book. Anybody can write a book. You need the publisher for promotion and distribution. Podcasting is no different. Podcasting is a media product, right? Yes, it's not the same scale as the Avengers. But if you have an hour-long podcast, you're asking for an hour of someone's time, just like the Avengers is asking for two hours of someone's time. No different. And you have to spend money to get your name out there. And so one of the things I did is I developed an equation that determined the value the annual value of a subscriber to my podcast. And it's actually a pretty easy equation because I have a daily podcast. Everything is based on a CPM basis. So let's say you have, so I figured, okay, I have a daily show. And let's say you have a $25 average CPM, which is what the average is. I have two ads. So that means my revenue per thousand would be $50. And because I do 365 days a year, approximately one person constitutes one third of a CPM. Then you can just figure out the math. Okay, what's a third of 50? That is approximately the value of a subscriber to my podcast per year. A weekly show is going to be a little different. You're going to throw in some Patreon. Maybe you have a course or something you do. You're going to have a different type of show, but you can figure out what the value is. 
Once you know what the value is, then you can go and start doing advertising and figure out, okay, I can spend this much money to acquire a new subscriber. And what I found is that the value of a subscriber to me was approximately $14 to $16 roughly. And I could acquire them for $1 to $3. That's like printing money at that point, right? Why wouldn't you do it? And so that's what I began doing. In fact, I began scratching my head because when the results started coming in, I didn't understand why everybody wasn't doing this. It's like, why isn't literally everybody doing this? And what I noticed is the I could see the other podcasts that were being promoted where I was doing the promotions, and it was all large podcast networks. And the networks never talk about how they promote shows. And what they're doing is they basically, when they launch a show, they promote it on all the other podcasts in their network, which are probably pretty large. And they buy advertising on apps and other things. And that's how they grow their shows. And so basically, I did that at a smaller scale. I didn't have as much money when I started, but I could spend a little, grow the show. Now I have some more money coming in. I could spend a little bit more. And it's kind of like pushing a large rock. It's very difficult to do to get started. But once you get that momentum going, then it becomes easier and easier to do. The advantage of doing a daily show, I think, is really what sets your CPM or the, let's call it the lifetime value of a subscriber, right? Or the annual value of a subscriber. Because you have a daily show, it's so much higher than someone who's doing it on a weekly yes. basis. I would imagine seven, literally seven times higher. So I think that's fantastic. And the thing that you have going for you in the CPM model is that whether your show is 10 minutes or whether your show is 40 minutes, to them, it's all the same. That download is the download. And I think that's a just fantastic utilization of the system. And I don't know that you've put in a lot of the hard work that comes along with building the consistency and the knowledge and the insights to be able to put out 900 episodes on different kinds of topics. So I, I don't want to minimize that for if someone's oh, no, listening. You, you are absolutely right. And it's a feature, not a bug. So there are two podcasters in particular that I kind of modeled that who did daily shows when I came up with the idea that I realized this could work really well. One was John Lee Dumas that did Entrepreneur on Fire. And that was his big innovation was doing a daily show. And the other one was Chris Gillibo who does Side Hustle School. And I met Chris at a, an event a couple years ago. We were both speakers and we were in a lounge talking. And he's published several books. He had a really big event that he ran. And he said that the daily podcast was the best thing he had ever done, which was a pretty big statement. And when I did the math for my own show, I realized exactly what you said is that there are huge benefits to doing a daily show. And it isn't just the economics. For, to talk about monetization, I do two, two ads in a daily show. People can stomach two ads. I think that's not unreasonable. But what if I had, so I do seven episodes a week. That's a, pro, a little over an hour of content. So let's say I did a one hour show weekly. And in that hour show, I put 14 ads. That would be a lot of ads for a one hour show, right? Yeah. But if you split it up, people don't mind. So the amount of ads I'm running on a daily show can effectually over the long run be a lot greater. The other thing is, every time you create a piece of content, it is an opportunity for discovery through search or sharing or whatever. If I had a podcast that was all about the same thing, right? Let's say I did a history podcast that was all about the history of X. Uh, every episode is going to be, they'll be a little bit different. They'll talk about a different subject, but it's all within the same genre, the same subject. Because my show is literally everything everywhere. I am able to create content about a wide variety of things. So if you go to Apple Podcasts and you search for Great Wall of China, I will appear. If you search for the Eiffel Tower, I will appear. 
if you search for notable figures in history, assuming I've done an episode, I'll appear. So I can spread my net very wide in terms of picking up a lot of different things that people may do searches on. And I'm not doing my content with SEO in mind. It's just a natural result of producing 900 episodes is that you're going to have 900 things that people may discover. How do you balance, because I think that in looking at what your topics were, you don't veer off of it. And maybe it's just that history is vast enough of a topic to where you can really go as there is, perhaps there is not, or there is. But I'm curious how you approach coming up with topics, how you decide whether or not it aligns with what you're trying to put out or not. It just needs to be interesting. So a lot of it, the show isn't necessarily history, although everything has a historical element. I've done episodes on mathematics. I've done episodes on science. And when I pick one subject, it sometimes leads to a whole bunch of other subjects that are similar. So for example, I'm doing a series on the elements in the periodic table, and I just did carbon. And a lot of the discussion was about carbon-based life forms and uh, you know things like that. So there's a whole host of other episodes I can do about the elements. I've done one about the planets. But then I've also done stuff. I did one on the history of the potato. And the potato what came from the New World. And it was not a something that was seen in Europe or Asia before. But when it was brought in, it radically transformed how people were able to grow and consume food because there's so many calories in potatoes. And then people really liked the potato episode. So I did one in the history of chickens and rice. And so that opened up a whole new gateway so I can do the history of corn and other things like that. And so that's what I've discovered is that doing one episode usually introduces me then to a whole bunch of different episodes that I can do. My background is in travel. I've been to pretty much all of the tiniest countries in the world. And I did a series on really tiny countries, starting with Nauru, because I've been there, Tuvalu, I've been there, Samoa, Liechtenstein, Monaco. And so I've done that. And also little tiny territories. Today's episode was on the island of Tristan Kuna. And I can talk with a lot of these about some sense of authority. I've been to most of them, or I've at least planned a trip there. And that opened up a whole range of things, talking about these tiny little places that most people don't know about. Yeah, I've coming up with new episodes is usually not a problem. Yeah, such a great tip about series and letting the series take you where they will and letting the feedback from those series expand on those. Gary, this has been so fun, but I know you're a busy man. But is there anything else that you thought would be relevant that we didn't squeeze in today? Because this has been such a valuable podcast so far. A lot of people, uh, one of the things I do is I read reviews at the end of the show. And that's the only thing that I've ever gotten anything less than a five-star review on is that aspect of the show. Yet people like it. They enjoy the fact that they could leave a comment or a question or something and I'll answer it or at least read the review that I, I think been more helpful than not, even though a couple people have said negative things about it. And I think people also recognize the amount of work I do to produce the show. I'm not giving my thoughts and opinions and ranting for 10 minutes. I am writing a 2000 word essay every day. And if you remember what you had to do in college or high school, if you were given that as an assignment, you would often be given weeks or months to do something equivalent. And I'm doing it every single day. And I think the recognition from the audience that I'm putting in a lot of work also means that they're willing to give you a lot of slack. So I've had episodes where I've made some mistakes usually pretty minor, because no matter what I talk about, there's usually somebody in the audience who knows more about it than me or who's an expert on it. And for example, I did one on submarines. It was about the creation of the nuclear Navy. 
and I, it was about Hyman Rickover. And I may, I said something where the United States had never had a disaster with a nuclear submarine. And I had several guys who had served on nuclear submarines write me and said, you're wrong. There were actually two. And for whatever reason, I never came across this. And so I went and checked what they had said. I was like, wow, you're right. And so I did a correction on the show, but now both of those examples will be future episodes. They're episodes that I can do stuff on because I think they're both interesting in their own right. Yeah. It's a format that has really worked. People really enjoyed it. And this is actually far better. The business I was in before was social media and blogging. And this is far better. I can think of no measure at which podcasting is not better than trying to do blogging or social media. You control the platform. I don't have to worry about Instagram changing their algorithm or something. And just to give you an example, I have a very successful travel blog, although it's pretty, if you go to the website now, it's pretty much converted to the podcast because that's the other thing. Every script I write becomes a blog post. So I get about 150,000 page views a month to my website, which is pretty good for a website. And each of those, according to Google Analytics, spends about 45 seconds on my website on average. Some people will spend longer. Some people go there and they leave. So if you factor 150,000 roughly times 45 seconds versus 10 to 12 minutes I'm getting per download of my podcast, the amount of time spent from people listening to my podcast and listening to my voice, which is much more personal than reading text, is over a thousand times greater than what I'm delivering with my website. And the same is true on social media. How much time do people spend looking at a post on Instagram? Can you tell me the last thing that you liked on Instagram? Nobody I don't have can. Instagram anymore. It's ephemeral, <laughs> right? You just scroll through, you lie, you lie, and it doesn't matter. It right. just, it's all gone in a second and it doesn't stick with you. Podcasting, people were thinking that the currency of the internet was eyeballs and it's not eyeballs right. because no matter how much money you have, no matter where you're from, we all have 24 hours in a day and that's all we have. And so when someone decides to spend 10 minutes with me a day, that's saying a lot, right? Because we only have a limited amount of time. And 10 minutes per day is far more valuable than the 10 seconds they get looking at a photo on Instagram where they don't even know where the photo came from. They don't know who shot it. They may not even know the account. It's far better than visiting a website on a click from a Google search. You don't know who ran the website. It's just a domain. It doesn't matter. You leave, you never come back. Podcasting is far more personal and just, just to end with one thing, over the course of doing travel photography, I ran several tours over the years. And getting people to sign up for tours was often very difficult. I went to the Galapagos. I went to South Africa, did a trip in Europe, Southwest U.S. I did several of them. I announced that I was going to be running a tour where we were going to do 10 days in Rome for the podcast. And talk, we would visit all the places that a lot of people don't get to see. We would cover things that I've done episodes about. And I would even do lectures online before the tour left. Within 48 hours, I had 100 people show interest. That there's so many, it was such a better vehicle for selling travel than what I was doing before, which was travel, even though my current show is not a travel show. Because people bond with you when you're a podcaster, they're more invested in you, and there's an emotional attachment. I have had people tell me that they have cried listening to episodes of my podcast, which is basically a history podcast. I've had people send me emails saying, you may not know this, but you are our son's favorite teacher because we listen to your show every night before he goes to bed. And I've never got those kind of reactions before. Never. And so I just want to say podcasting is so much better 
I think, than pretty much anything else you can be doing right now. And my only regret is that I didn't start doing this sooner. Gary, that is a fantastically beautiful point to end on. NYP fam, the show is everything, everywhere, daily on all the podcast places. Is there a video component too? No video. Not yet, but I am going to be launching that. That's been in the plan since day one. There's a whole host of educational channels on YouTube that are nothing more than voiceovers with B-roll footage that bounce around. And I already have the voiceover. That's literally what the podcast is. So I just need someone to help with the video. I can't do, for a daily podcast, I can't do writing, researching, recording the show, and then trying to do video on top of that. But I'm eventually going to hire someone to put a video treatment over the audio that I've done. And if necessary, I could re-record it or even change some of the scripts. But yeah, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah, that's fun. And is there any socials that people can come and connect with you on? I'm either everything everywhere on Instagram or everywhere trip on Twitter. And uh, I've also been getting a lot of mileage out of TikTok as well. That's actually been the best performing platform I've been using. We'll go get connected guys and gals. We appreciate you guys being here and we'll see you on the next episode. Later y'all.